0: Very much so. If you'll turn in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. It is easy for us, I imagine, that when we hear statements from Jesus that are universal statements that belong to God alone coming out of his mouth... We get a little used to it in the church, I think. And so we miss the punch with which they were first spoken. I am the bread of life. It is not something just any man could say. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the good physician. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. These statements cannot be said by a mere human. When Jesus says such phrases it tends for Christians to fall on our ears a little flat. And I want to challenge that a little bit this morning by expressing to us just how broad a statement that is. Because from the opening pages of Scripture all the way to the end, the picture of light coming into this world is an expression of what God has intended to do to an otherwise uncharacteristic, formless, Void, chaotic, dark that has no ability to understand light. It is indeed the very first thing that God said. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the darkness. And God said, what? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing in English. We have to use a lot of words for it. In Hebrew, it's, it's, it doesn't flow well in English, but I will say it this way. Light be. Darkness, chaos, disorder was the order of the day. That was the way of it. Light, order, and life were not. In order for all of this to come to pass, it would have to be God coming into all of this formless and void world and bringing out of it something that only his word can do. Light was the first. Everything else followed after this. We've got setting the boundaries places for the waters. We've got the boundary places for the land. We've got things going in the air, birds, things like this, creeping things and the land animals and these things, things that teem in the waters and all of this. Life came out of what was not life beforehand. God brought out of disorder, order and intention. Brought out of darkness, light and life. These pictures are so deep and are so broad that to the ears of those who are hearing the word, I am the light of the world their first challenge to him is that's a claim that needs enormous witness. For you to say that you are not a light in the world, but the light of the world is a claim beyond what any normal human can make. In fact, they even ridicule him for this in later verses going, isn't this just Jesus? I mean, we know his dad, we know his mom, we know his brothers. Why would we listen to this guy? He's going to say things like this. I am the light of the world. What is, what is it that you bear? So when we read these passages, it doesn't really fall on our ears the same way as it fell on the ears of those who are hearing because their reaction is extreme. You need enormous witnesses for such claims as that. And Jesus' response is, yes. Eyewitness of myself, and so does the Father. Nobody else is high enough to be witness. That's an incredible claim. An incredible claim. And I want you to see it this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God and His Word. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20 is our intention this morning. A sermon entitled The Light of the World. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, well, then where is your Father? Jesus answered and said, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Our father, we're grateful for this short passage. We're grateful for its teaching. We're grateful for our Lord Christ, who in all his infinite wisdom expresses this reality about himself. He is the light of the world. We pray, father, that the depth of that meaning tickle our minds and delight our hearts this day. We pray in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. This is not a new topic for John. If we are to be considering, as he insists, who it is Jesus of Nazareth actually is, then we need to know from the very beginning what he's claiming. Remember, the goal of everything that's written in the Gospel of John is the expression that is on the screen behind me every time we are in the Gospel of John. He wants you to know that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name, that you may believe and live. And so, John is expressing to us these realities. If you're going to believe in him, you need to know who he is. And so, we are dealing with deep identity issues. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the truth. He is the way. He expresses himself in all of these statements throughout. In fact, there are, by no happenstance, seven I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. This is the number of perfection, by the way. I am statements are callbacks to the reality And we mentioned this when he said, I am the bread of life, and I'll just call your mind back to it again. When Moses was on Mount Horeb, also Mount Sinai, same mountain, when he was there at the burning bush. And the angel of the Lord calls out from the bush and commissions Moses to go back to Egypt and says, go and set my people free, tell Pharaoh this, tell my people this. And Moses goes, nobody's going to believe me. I've been living in the desert for 40 years. I've been living in the desert for 40 years taking care of these sheep. Nobody's going to care. I ran away from there a generation ago. Nobody's going to listen to me. And nobody knows who you are. What's your name? What's your name? Because if if you're going to send me there, you best tell me what God is sending me. And God identifies himself. I am who I am. It is a statement of eternal presence and technically not even existence, but transcendent, broad existence. It is not I was or I will be. It is always I am. So close is this to the person of God himself that it becomes akin to his name. And so when Jesus is using these expressions... I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection. I am the life. These are not accidental references. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, known as the Septuagint, the Greek word for I am, the Greek, two Greek words actually, is ego, I, me. And that's exactly how he starts off each of these sentences. Ego, I, me, the bread of life. Ego, I, me, the light of the world. He is making direct statements about his own divinity. And so when he makes claims like this, each of them is to drive us back to understand what is Jesus here to do. The first one, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of heaven. He is the one who sustains these things. What does he say? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life can't find it somewhere else. And he says this to a group of about 20,000 people who are there because they were fed free bread the day before. And then they come around the lake and find Jesus on the other side of it. This is all John chapter 6, if you want to be reminded of it. And they find Jesus on the other side of it the next day, and they're just like, we want bread. And in fact, we want bread so much, we love this guy so much, this guy Jesus, let's make him king. We'll make him king we recognize Him, we will worship Him so long as He feeds us bread. free food. And the desire for the first politician, born as well. Just promise to give us free stuff and we'll vote for you. And what does Jesus do? He just looks at them and says, "You're not here because of who I am. You are here only because you had your full of bread. Do not pursue the bread that perishes. Your fathers ate bread in the wilderness that perishes, and then they perished. Pursue the bread that doesn't perish, that springs to eternal life. And then he points out, they said, you know what? You want bread from heaven? They said, you know what? Moses, Moses gave us bread from heaven when we were wandering around the desert. Feed us with that. Jesus says, no, I am the bread from heaven. That was just a picture of me. You are to eat and consume that which proceeds from the mouth of God. You are to consume the word of God himself. And as he says, I'm standing in front of you. Do not pursue bread that perishes. Pursue the bread that doesn't. And here in a similar passage, he at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, still standing in the temple right next to the treasury looks out to all of these, including the Pharisees, the scribes, and everyone else who has gathered there, and just introduces them to a concept that John began his gospel with. Jesus is the light of the world. Now, I will remind you, because it was all seven chapters ago, turn to John chapter 1. We've already worked through this. We've already seen it, and John is assuming that we're familiar with it. So I want you to see the opening of the book of John. John chapter 1, again a callback directly to the creation of the world. In the beginning, it's John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And yes, the word here is Jesus. Excuse me. The word is the son of God. God the son. Jesus is his incarnate term. I want to be very accurate here in these verses because if you get ahead of yourself, it all gets knotted up. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Now stop there for a second. All of creation of the natural world depended on Christ before his incarnation. The Father is the creator of the heavens and the earth who created through the Son And the Holy Spirit, they're applying it. The whole trinity at work in creation. And here John is expressing that Jesus of Nazareth, before his incarnation as God the Son, was through whom all things were created, right? Okay, verse 4. So this shouldn't surprise us. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And here's what we're aiming for. The light shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it has not understood it, has not explained it, has not gathered it. The darkness didn't know what in the world to do with the light. God continued to create the world. Let there be light. And the light piercing through the dark of this world, the darkness was no longer where the light was. Darkness doesn't stick around when light shows up, does it? I mean, when you turn on your lights, that would be a little freaky, wouldn't it? If you turned on the lights and then all of a sudden there's still darkness everywhere, just kind of like a, a corporeal thing in the room. Uh, I don't know if you've seen uh, some of these new inventions. There's a, a new invention here a couple of years ago with the, the darkest paint ever made. Uh, I think it's called Vanta Black. And it absorbs like 99.99% of all light. It just looks if you painted a ball with it and then brought it into this room, it would look like just a deleted, clipped out absence of stuff. It looks It's very unnerving when you look at it. Uh, and someone actually painted an entire room in it and then had a light bulb hung in there because they're just like, I don't know what it looks like when darkness sticks around when light turns on. And so they went in there And they turned on this light bulb and what happened was the only thing that you could see was the light bulb. You couldn't see any of the walls. You couldn't see anything. And he was like, this is the most unnerving room I've ever been in. Because we're used to light chasing away darkness and darkness not sticking around to try to understand it. In all of these things, The picture of light and darkness, this back and forth, it goes back to even the first days. God separated the light and the darkness, the light he called day, the darkness he called night, back and forth, back and forth, neither the two shall meet. When Jesus applies this to himself, and when John has been applying this to Jesus, it is to say what happens in the dark stays with the dark. What happens in the light is obvious to all. He's not going to do this in the corner of the world somewhere. He's going to do it in front of all. And he himself, being the light, accomplishes what only the light can. In fact, you see this expression. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. We're connecting this idea with being able to see things with the idea of being able to live. Skip over verses 6-8 through because it just introduces John the Baptist for a second. Well, no, don't skip that. Okay, let's just read through it. You can't skip anything in this passage. It just trips you up. So, verse 5, and we'll just keep working. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him, meaning the light. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Now, John is so focused on this that one of the most densely packed expressions of who Christ is in all of Scripture, he spends all this time talking about light. Who the light is. What came to bear witness about the light. Why it is that we must concern ourselves with him. And then he introduces it yet again. Verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. They were born of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yes, that word dwelt is the same word tabernacle. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth, John bore witness about him and said, This is him of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. This is... And I said it when I worked through (coughs) the first half of John 1. This is one of the hardest passages to just sift through because it touches on every aspect of salvation. But let me just pull a little thread out of all of this and express this reality that what God is saying about Jesus himself, the word of God himself, the light of the world, is to say that just as light came into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, The darkness has not understood it. Jesus came to give light to the world. And the world rejected him. Why? Because the world was darkness. You say, then how is it that the word of God himself could actually show us the Father? If we are by nature children of wrath, as Ephesians 2 says, or we are children of darkness, as John says in his epistle, then how is it we could ever see the light himself? When the light of the world shows up, we would scatter like roaches. But what happens in verse 18 here is that while none of us have ever seen God, Jesus came and made him known to those who dwell in dark places. It means as we grope around the dark, trying to find meaning and purpose and value in this world in a fallen state, we will not find God. Darkness does not go out and procure light for itself. Light shines where light shines. And God calls whom he calls. And here, those whom he is calling, he makes the light known to them. And here is what Jesus is saying about himself. It is not that God is going to do this in a myriad of ways anymore. It's not that he's going to do it in all sorts of tricks and things. No, he's going to do it by the singular light of the world. If the world which is steeped in great darkness and sin is going to find God, it must do it through Christ. And so what he is saying is, not only am I God himself, not only am I God, but you can't come to the Father unless it's through me. And everyone that the Father gives me, as he says in chapter 6, I will in no wise cast out, I will surely save. And I will lose none of them. We'll learn that when he talks about himself as the good shepherd. So when Jesus is speaking to them and he introduces them to this concept, I am the light of the world, he says to them, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Now, if you're familiar with um, some passages from the Psalms that talk about the word of God itself, it speaks on very similar terms. We even have a song we sang about it. I think it was last Sunday. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, right? Here it is, we have the revelation of God that speaks to us about the world that God made. Now, there are many who, not trusting in Christ, use the word of God to try to navigate this world, to try to establish their own righteousness, to try to impress God so that maybe one day God would say, hey, you did a good job. That legalism will never lead to life, but there is some light to it. There are principles inside the scriptures that can teach us wisdom in this world. Don't borrow money. A servant is slave to the lender. Don't do this, do this instead. There's all sorts of wisdom in it. But the light of that is dim. Especially if you miss Christ in the middle of it. Because at the end of the day, the wisdom of it is not about you and your life. The wisdom about it is of Christ himself. Whoever follows me, he says, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And there he connects the exact same thing that John had connected back in John chapter 1. He was the light of life. In him was the light of the world. He was the life of men. And so the Pharisees, those who knew the scriptures better than anyone else... Said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Basically, you're a liar. Show me your proof. You're making claims that say you yourself are singularly the light of the world. You need other witnesses, not just you. You are bearing witness about yourself. You're lying. Jesus answered them back and said, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. Now, most people pass over that little statement and do not realize what Jesus is saying. There isn't a higher authority than me. I can bear witness about myself because I'm an ultimate authority. It's kind of like when we come to the scriptures and when someone says, how do you know the Bible is true? I I. I, I Uh, I encourage you, do not go about saying, well, we verify it with archaeology, we verify it with this, therefore it's true. We can verify things in archaeology and, and put that into our understanding. We can verify it with all sorts of things. But at the end of the day, it's true because it says it's true because we're dealing with an ultimate authority. There isn't something higher that scripture appeals to that says, because of this, it's true. Scripture is an ultimate authority. There's nothing higher than it. Why? Because it's the word of God himself who is an ultimate authority. And so what Jesus is saying here is, even if I do bear witness about myself, my witness is true. My testimony is true by very nature of what it is. For I know where I come from, and I know where I'm going. Just think about it from from Jesus' perspective for a second. As much as we can. I don't even know how that works. He created the world, He gave his word. He interacted in multiple occasions throughout the Old Testament text as the angel of the Lord, carrying out the role of salvation. He met with Joshua on the hill before the eve of battle as the the commander of the Lord's army. He met with Samson's parents the day that he promised to them that there would be a son born to them. He met with David. He met with Ezekiel. He met with Jeremiah. He had talked to people all through this history. The biblical text says, then at one point he found himself born as one of us and grew in wisdom and stature, which means at one point in his eternal divine existence, determined to be born under the law through a young woman and then be as any other baby. And then as he grew up in wisdom and stature, I don't know how it works, knew who he was. Again, I don't know how that works. He was a baby like any other baby. Medieval artists tried to explain this by painting babies with full-grown man faces as if he was fully aware of who he was at all points. I don't think the scripture says that. In fact, it says he grew in both wisdom and stature. You're going to ask me how that works? I'm going to tell you I have studied theology for many, many years, and I don't have the first clue. I don't know anyone who does, because we're dealing with something entirely unique in the incarnation of Christ. But what we're dealing with is what he says about himself. As he grew up, not only is his submission, love, and zeal for the word of God so advanced that by a 12-year-old, he is confusing and confounding the minds of the elders in the temple, but by the time he's 30, he just speaks and out of his mouth comes the word of God because it's who he is. How that all works is beyond us, but we can express this reality that at this point he is fully and 100% aware of his pre-incarnate existence and his post-incarnate existence because the eternality of the son is to understand beginning from end, and here he's expressing I can bear witness about myself because I know where I came from and I know where I'm going and you don't know either. And these Pharisees want him to appeal to their standard of proof. And he says, I have no need of that. That's not how this works. Look what he says. Verse 14, Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You just judge according to the flesh. That's a very fancy way of saying to the Pharisees who knew the word of God better than anybody else, you don't even have the perspective to ask the right questions. It's very, very insulting. Because as Jesus is expressing to them, you don't even have the right to tell me I'm not correct. You don't even know who you're speaking to. And what he is expressing to them is this very uh, basic reality. You can only judge according to the flesh. And what he says is, I judge no one, meaning his role here at this moment is not as judge. And so he expresses, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. That's it. By very nature of who I am, my judgment is true. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. I know my testimony is true, and I don't appeal to you. So like when they came up and said, you know, by what authority do you do all of these things? Jesus just confounds and turns around the things on them and asks them a question about John the Baptist. And he's like, well, if you can't answer that simple question, I'm not even going to answer to you about what authority I do these things. My authority is inherent, built in, part of who I am. Not something just given to me. And so he says, even if I were to judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. So he says, okay, great. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. End of story. (laughs) And he puts them in this corner where, according to the word of God, they can do nothing with this. Because they don't have a right to actually interrogate the Father. And as Jesus is saying, not only do you not have the ability to question the Father or the right to interrogate him, while you have the ability to question me, you don't have the right. That is enormously humiliating language. And what Jesus is saying is, I really do not care if I don't meet your standard of judgment. You just judge according to the flesh. I don't care what the darkness says about the light. It doesn't matter. Its opinion is relevant. I think sometimes Christians fall into this trap where we want to to project the easier, the good sides of Jesus in evangelism and not the actual full revelation of who Christ is. And so we'll preach one side of it. And man, does it confuse people. We'll go, Jesus just wants to be your friend. He just wants to help you out and make everything better. But you better do that before you die because otherwise he's going to throw you to hell. And people are confused when they hear this. They just go, so wait a second, he really, really likes me here until I die, and then he really, really hates me when I die. Do you see how to an unbeliever that sounds like dissonance? Because it is. The reality is that both are preached all the time. Repent and turn to God, or you will die. The only way to life is him, and that offer extends until you die. He will either be your priest and intercede for you or he will be your judge. He maintains both offices. And what Jesus is saying here is, Pharisees, you do not maintain the office of judge over me. And so the Pharisee says, fine. You want us to interrogate your father? Where is your father? And man, there, there, there is a special reverence I have for Christ in the way he sets traps for people. Because he does it better than anybody. The trap he just set for them is them expressing that they don't know where his father is. And then he turns it on them and goes, yeah, I know you don't. It's a remarkable thing because the reality is they are showing their hands to not know the God of Israel at all. The God of Israel has given his testimony throughout Scripture and they have missed it. Watch what he does with this. After he says, The Father who sent me bears witness about me. Verse 19, They said to him, Therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered and said, You don't know me or my father. If you knew me, you would already know my father. And then he ends the conversation. What are we to gather from that? One, if you don't see how insulting that language is to the the perspective that mankind has, you're kind of missing it. The expression is that we have no Even if we had the right, we have no ability to actually judge the claims of Jesus. We're not coming up here and going, you know what, Jesus said this, Jesus said that. I don't really like this, but I like that, so I'm going to take that. We don't have that right. We don't even have the perspective to know. How could we know what light truly is? This is one of the things that really drives me crazy about people claiming to be Christians and just picking and choosing from the Bible what they will or will not submit to. That's not the way of light. The way of light is when God speaks, I want that to be the desire of my heart. I don't care if it, if it causes me to deal with a certain scruple in my life in a different way. I would prefer to go the road that appears foolish to those who are perishing than to go on a road that everyone goes, yeah, I guess that makes somewhat sense, sort of. If God says in his word, which he does, to believe on Christ, and you say, well, in so doing, it means I will have distance from this relationship or that and it's not worth it, hear the words of Christ in Luke 18, then don't follow him. We must understand, we cannot pick and choose what things to take from Christ. Some things will cost us greatly in the natural world to follow Christ, some things won't. Sometimes following Christ means suffering comes our way as a gift. I know. Something our culture hates to think of that way. But I will tell you, there are multiple prayers I have prayed the past week, thanking God for difficulties in my life. Because I have walked with the Lord long enough to know that he deserves gratitude from me for easy times as well as for hard times. And I have prayed for years that God would give me a heart of gratitude in the middle of suffering. And that is some of the hardest stuff to deal with. But I tell you, it sets you free from looking at this stuff as though it is something that accidentally came upon you as a surprise to you and God. God is walking you through it. God will bring you out of it. And even if it ends with you in the grave, my friend, he brings us out of that too. There is nothing that can befall us, that can harm his promises. There's nothing that can come across our path that he has not foreseen and is intending to bring us through. No matter how complicated, difficult, frustrating, or grievous. You are not here this morning by accident. You will not lay your head down to your grave at some random day. That day, my friends, is written for you since before the world was. And God will walk with you there too. Now hear the words of Christ. I am the light of the world. He who walks with me will not walk in darkness any longer. I am the light of the world. If you walk with me, you will have the light of life. Even if you die, you will live. Even if you walk in times of grave difficulty, you will see light. Sometimes this world fools us. Because the darkness is so pervasive. Sometimes our own sins blind us to the light that is Christ. And we are so overcome, even by bad habits or bad tolerated sins in our own lives, that we do not appreciate who Christ is and the life He's giving us. My friends, This is why when we come together, we confess our sins. Don't hide what darkness is in your life. Expose it to the light. Confess it. Repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will live. You want the light of life? You want wisdom? Ask the Lord. You want humility? Pray for it. He will give it, I promise. You say, well, that, that might, that might um, welcome difficult times in, in, in my life. Yes, may it ever be. That we may grow in patience and love to him who never abandons his people. And that God may purify from us all those hopes that disappoint. Those hopes that say our bank accounts will always have more money in it and our stocks will always go up because we're Christians. That's not true. Faithful Christians have starved. Faithful Christians have been murdered. Faithful Christians have had sicknesses that led them to, from our perspective, untimely deaths. God is with us still. And if you are attempting to serve God on your own without Christ, you will not have the light of life. Instead, you will have your own light, which is a dim Little flicker in the midst of a dark universe, and you will not be able to see a thing. And this is what Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees about. These Pharisees are saying, We don't believe you, we don't believe you, we don't believe you. And Jesus says, It doesn't matter what you believe. You don't have the perspective to tell me I'm wrong. You don't have the right to judge this. You can't even see this. You don't even know the Father. And what's the impression here that we are to give? Follow Christ, and you will have not only him, but all things. These words he spoke in the midst of the treasury as he taught in the temple. They wanted to arrest him. There they had the whole temple guard at their disposal, but nobody had the ability to do it. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. The restraining hand of God is much more powerful than your fist. That's a really interesting way to put it. This is why we do not take vengeance, but we leave it to the Lord. This is why we do not seek revenge. Because God has his hour and has his time, and we have our days, and they are written, and God walks with us through them all as the light of the world. Don't replace him with any other hope, any other judge, or any other base. Let's pray. Our Father, we are indeed grateful. Your word continually works on our hearts and teaches us how high you are and how low we are. We pray, Father, that if we think of ourselves higher than we ought, that you humble us. We pray, Father, that if we think of you lower than you are, that you teach us holiness and how beyond us you are. And yet how close. Father, give us wisdom. Give us gratitude in the midst of difficulties. We pray, Father, that the light of the world would light our path not just this week, but for our life, for our death, even that we may gain perspective to see the world to come. May all these things be done for your glory and for your name's sake. We pray in his name.